Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast, powered by Kasoon Car. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Electra Japanas, the founder of The Law Boutique. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Um, you may be aware, I was just saying off air, that we still have in season two our customary question. Um, on the scale of one to 10, 10 being very real, how real do you rate the TV series Suits? Oh God. Uh, 1.5. Okay. Why? Because that's definitely not real life at all. And uh, I think everyone's got a drinking problem as well, because who drinks so much whiskey at about 10 a.m.? Good point. Good point. Yeah. So I think based on that, one, maybe even just one. Yeah. Maybe just the one. <laughs> Let's just round it down at one. Okay. Um, so you've got such an impressive journey, as I mentioned at the top, the founder of The Law Boutique. But let's go back a step. But tell us a bit more about your background. Okay, so I was born and raised in Cyprus. Okay. British mum, hence the accent. Uh, and then I studied in the UK. I went back to Cyprus. I did my bar exam. And then I decided that Cyprus was a little bit too small for me. So I came back and uh, I did a master's in international business law. And while I was doing that, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I didn't really want to have a traditional kind of legal trajectory because I always I always wanted to do something a bit different. So I was really lucky to get a job at the European Space Agency in Holland. And then I went and, and I did a graduate program with them, uh, followed by a stint in Germany. Uh, and then after I'd moved around a little bit, I decided to settle in London. Um, and uh, throughout my career, I was always working in, in a tech environment. So I was always, always really conscious about the fact that as a lawyer, you need to be speaking the language of the engineer or the tech person that you're talking to. And they've, they're, they're very structured in the way that they operate or they have been mm. um, in, the, in the companies that I worked for. So then when I started working with law firms, as I moved into different companies and was doing more commercial roles, when I started working with law firms, I realized that there was a disparity between the way lawyers worked and the way the business operated and that that meant that you always needed to have someone who was translating. So I thought, why is it like that? Why can't lawyers, why don't lawyers um, work in a way that's conducive to the rest of the business? And what can I do to change that? Mm. And I started the Law Boutique to do just that. Okay. And we're definitely going to talk lots about the, the Law Boutique. But I guess going back at uh, Cyprus, yeah. uh, whereabouts? I mean, I've only been on holiday Limitel. there. Okay. So is that where you fly into Larnaca or are you fly into Pathos? Uh, you can, well, Cyprus is so tiny that you can fly to either of those because um, Limassol is equidistant from both of them. But yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, would you recommend it for holidays? Definitely. It's beautiful. It's small. And if you rent a car, it's one of the best holiday destinations. Or Even though I'm biased, I, I do think that. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned there you thought about wanting, um, you sort of found a gap with regards to the law boutique, but what really fueled your passion for, for, for wanting to start it? If I'm honest, it was probably frustration at the way that it was almost impossible to get the type of support that I needed as an in-house lawyer from the law firms that I worked with. Yeah. Do you want to give a flavor of some of those organizations you're working with just to sort yeah. of context for people? Yeah. So I worked with, um, in my last stint, I worked with a, a big tobacco company and uh, I worked in the IT uh, department. Mm -hmm. We were basically delivering this project, which was worth a lot of money. And to negotiate the contract uh, that we were negotiating, uh, it took four months Wow! in a law firm. And we were working really late nights. And at the end of that process, I thought, what, what was the real value add here? 
And my conclusion was the fact that the, the real value add was the insurance policy that the law firm had, because even though we were in a room with really bright lawyers, they didn't really understand the business, which meant that whatever they gave us, we needed to translate as the in-house team, we needed to translate it into the operational side, which was often really difficult. So we got to the point where we were just letting stuff go through and then we thought, oh, we'll just change it, yeah. we'll change requests. And I thought, I'm sure the lawyers don't want to be those people. Yeah. So that's what, that's what fueled it, a real vision for a gap in the market. And also, I feel like law should be more fun. I agree. Hence why this podcast, you know, people yeah. are always saying, do you know what, it's really interesting. You've had lots of people from partners to associates to business owners. You know, it's not all stuffy, right? Yeah, it's not. It's not. And, and also, if you look at a legal document now, it's written by lawyers for lawyers. But what if we made it more engaging, prettier, something that people want to um, read, really? Wouldn't that make lawyers more popular as well? Yeah. And also the, the, the very topic a bit more fun? And I think one thing you've touched on there as well as is, is, is before is simplifying things. I think with language and legal language and people get really kind yeah. of, you know, caught up in it. Do you want to talk about that and sort of how the law boutique sort of fits into all of that solution as well? Yeah. I mean, if you look at, if you look at any fast growth organization, we work predominantly with fast growth, hyper growth organizations. They need to do business really quickly and, and deal speed is an advantage. But if you give someone in the business say, a salesperson, an NDA that's yeah. written in archaic English with really small writing written over two columns. This is a trick that lawyers use. If you write a document in two columns, you usually get uh, less red lines back. But if you didn't do that and you simplified the language and the way that it was written and the way that it looked, wouldn't that salesperson want to engage with that document more? And if they want to engage with it more, then they're happier to pick it up and, and, and use it and get the other party to sign it rather than getting the third party to give them their NDA, which then creates more work for the legal team. It's really important that we apply what we call design thinking to law because that basically makes our life easier. It makes people look at us in a more human light. Yeah, no, well said. Completely agree. And um, for you then, what have been some of the, so how long has the Law Boutique been going for? When do you find We're going into our third year now. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of people find it quite humbling in terms of learning people's journey. So it's still relatively new. Yeah. Um, obviously you're doing massively successful now and it's great to see, but what have been some of the challenges for you sort of going along those initial three years? From a business perspective, rather than from the topic that we're trying to get people to understand a bit more. At the beginning of any business, I think you do whatever work's given to you so that you can pay the bills. Yeah. Um, and any work that comes your way, you might view as validation. So you'll just pick up that work. But actually, um, it ends up taking you away from what you really want to be doing or what you're really good at. So I think in the first year, that was our biggest challenge, trying to stay afloat whilst doing all this stuff that wasn't necessarily what we, we really wanted to do. So I think definitely in terms of maybe inspiring others, self-discipline, focus, trying to kind of stay in that that lane yeah. as much as you can whilst balancing it from a finance perspective is probably what advice you'd say to others. I'm not sure if I would advise anyone anything because it's really difficult to start your own thing. And so if you need to do certain things to 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 survive, then do those things. But know that there'll, there'll come a point where you say, actually, I don't need to be doing yeah. um, these website T's and C's because I want to work on this huge legal ops project. Yeah. Um, maybe not huge, but big legal ops project yeah. that's going to help add this type of value, which is what I really want to be doing. 
Yeah. Yeah. And for you guys, in terms of how do you try to differentiate yourself? Because I I think what you're doing is very innovative. And I know you're a sort of tech tech enthusiast and I think you're doing great stuff. But what do you think makes you guys stand out from, from, from the crowd? We're not your standard lawyer. We realize the value of law and legal services, of course. But I think that in order to keep up, with the way the rest of the world is going, uh, we need to deliver law differently. And we help lawyers do just that. And you've touched on that. So you cut costs through legal design, but do you want to maybe kind of unpack that a little bit more for people listening in who are quite new to this concept? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, So I think... I think that we talk about legal design, but I'd like to remove the word legal from that phrase. But I think generally people need to start thinking about design thinking rather than legal design, because legal design is just uh, just the same as design thinking. So you would take a human-centric approach to everything that you do, which means that before you design, let's take a privacy policy as an example. Um, Before you design your privacy policy, I think the first thing to think about isn't necessarily is this document legally compliant? Because as a lawyer, you'll know how to do that. Yeah. I think the first thing is, who's going to read this? Who is this content being, being written for? And does that person really want to read this? Mm. And if not, is it important that they read it? And if so, how do you make it more readable? How mm. do you make it more engaging, more entertaining? How do you get people to, uh, to pay attention to this thing that you're going to spend a long time creating? And then after that, of course, you think about the law as well. But the law can slot into an overarching framework that you can uh, think about. Um, But of course, we're not trained like that. So lawyers are trained to be more risk averse. They're trained to um, make sure that everything's in there, to think about every possible scenario. And um, it's it's great because it it makes you very robust and whatever you do is really thought through. But there's another element that I think needs to, people need to start considering. Yeah, I think you put that really, really well. And I think from, from just sort of analysing that, it's a case of, you know, you have got all this complex stuff, you have all got these chunky documents, but you can provide a solution which basically simplifies all that. So mm. stakeholders within the organisation can really understand it and it builds their confidence up, which in turn then saves time, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I think that's really smart. And I think that's, you know, credit to what you guys are doing at the moment. Um, So on that, we're in 2020. I think I got fed up last year of asking people what their vision 2020 is. So, um, but you know, for this year and the next decade, although technically someone said to me the other day that this is not a new decade. Um, It's 2021 is officially a new decade, but I don't know. So let's just say we're in a new decade. Um, But for this year, what what plans have you got and what's lined up? I think our plan is to get really good at what we're doing in terms of messaging it, because what we're doing is quite innovative yeah. and I'd like to communicate it better. And I think that takes time. It takes a lot of time to work out exactly what your messaging should be. And also we'd like to continue working with the uh, really cool clients that we're working with at the moment and really making a difference to the way that they operate and their internal branding, if you like. Yeah. Um, so we, instead of saying I've got all these plans to do all these new things, I actually want to get I want to nail what we're doing now. Okay. No, and that's, that's very modest of you as well. Um, you mentioned clients. How did you initially win, win clients? Because now I know it's probably, you know, it's a lot of repeat business. There's a lot of referrals. Mm. It's, you know, it's your networks, you're established. But from the outset, how did, you, how did you go about that? And how have you gone about fostering those relationships as well? So the first client I got was from a, a startup group on Facebook. So I just went on to this Facebook group and I said hi, I'm thinking of leaving my job and doing this thing. Yeah. Does anyone need support? And I got two clients on the first day. 
And then since then, it's been it's been word of mouth. It's been relationships from previous jobs and it's quite a small ecosystem. Mm. So um, word gets around. Yeah. And I think that's that's how we've done it. LinkedIn's been really helpful as well, actually. Yeah. No, yeah. LinkedIn's so powerful. Yeah. And it's only going to go from strength to strength for everyone. I mean, they're even advertising on national TV now. So really? They're, they're going places. Um, okay. So for you, in terms of your business, slightly different question, but what do you think makes a great lawyer for your business in terms of engaging? What would be a good lawyer in your opinion? I think a good lawyer um, is is someone who is creative. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think that the word creative and law go um, hand in hand always in people's minds. But I think you have to be a creative person to be a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, because we we're wordsmiths, aren't we? We like to take something and phrase it in a certain way so that it has a certain meaning. Words matter, and that's a creative process that you engage your your you engage the creative part of your brain. The rest you can look up. Um, and so I think a good lawyer is a creative lawyer, and that's the same with us. Yeah. Someone who's ready to 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 think differently about the way that we do our jobs. Yeah. No, well said. And you, as an extension of that, you are a GDPR practitioner that came into force in May 2018, mm-hmm. um, even though a long time before that, but people started thinking about it uh, at May 2018. But for you, what are still some of the common misconceptions about GDPR and what you see from, from, from people generally? A lot of things, a lot of things about GDPR are, are misconceptions. I yeah. think the whole saga with the emails filling your inbox yeah. uh, to get your consent was a bit mad. And I'm sure that people are just sick of seeing those emails in their inbox. But I think the common misconceptions are that GDPR is just a pain. Actually, being really ethical about your data practices will foster trust. It will get you more clients in the long term. And um, people now expect it. So since GDPR, people's, uh, p- people's perspective around their rights and what they can and can't do or exercise has increased. Yeah. So I think companies um, have started to realize that. Okay. And for you as, as, as a business owner, a successful business owner, people are always keen to hear you know, about networking. It's this massive thing online and offline now, but how do you go about doing your networking and, and particularly within the legal sector? I mean, I can't think of anything worse than being forced into a room with, uh, you know, a glass of wine and having to start conversations with people. I don't think yeah. that's a, a great image in anyone's head. No. So I think networking, I just think relation, relationships, if you spend time on your relationships, then that person's going to tell another person. And um, yeah, I, I, I haven't really deliberately networked, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think the the key is when I say to people networking, like you said, that glass of wine, that scenario, that's so 20 years ago. <laughs> and no one even liked yeah. it 20 years no. ago. And now there's so many resources. And particularly we're talking about a tech enthusiast and someone who's trying to streamline process, you know, being quite savvy and using a lot of online tools and e-networking and things mm. like that, I find is massively beneficial yeah. um, these days. Okay. And in terms of accolades, you know, you're in your third year now, you're doing very, very well. Is there a particular accolade you would like to win or you've got in your sights for the Law Boutique? Or as you said just before, you just want to kind of take this year as it comes? Um, so we've just been uh, we've just been shortlisted for the Modern Law Awards 2020. Congratulations. Thank you. That when do we hear amazing. about this? Um, I think it's uh, Q2 of this year. Okay. So I'm not sure exactly when, but um, that would be amazing because that's exactly what we're doing. We're modernizing law. 
Yeah, exactly. And for all you legally speaking listeners, you definitely get behind these guys uh, for that as well and stay tuned. What have you seen as some of the greatest trend changes since being connected to the law? And what do you foresee as well in the legal sector happening? Um, I think I've seen some great trend changes. I think people are talking about tick. They're talking about legal operations. Uh, I think there's still some misunderstanding about what legal ops actually means. I think people think that it's tick, but it's actually a more holistic way of working. But people are thinking about it. And um, I look at these innovative companies and they hire a lawyer, they hire a GC as a sole counsel. And then that lawyer, their first hire will be a legal ops person, which I think is super smart because if you can't set up your function in a scalable way, how are you going to scale with the rest of the business? Yeah, no, definitely. And so for you, what do you think makes a good legal ops person? I think legal ops, I think it is the understanding that legal operations means understanding what the business strategy is, what your objectives need to be as a legal team, and then creating a target operating model that's going to support that. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, a big theme again for this, this year is about people having mentors or wanting to upskill themselves, particularly regarding tech and the legal space. Mm. Is there, have you got your own mentors? How would you advise people maybe going about getting mentors if they want to kind of immerse themselves and upskill themselves, particularly in these sort of areas? Yeah, I think um, to your point earlier, um, doing it digitally is, is great because you can see the people that are talking about the topics that you're interested in. I use Twitter, I use LinkedIn. Yep. And then if you reach out to people, it's amazing how much people are happy to help you. Um, uh, but people are quite generous with their time when you're giving them a platform to talk about the thing that they're passionate about. So uh, keeping that in mind and, and, and making an effort to connect with these people has been invaluable. And also talking to other people that have started a business even if it's in a completely different field and understanding how, how do their processes work? Yeah. Um, who are you using for this piece of work? Just connecting. Yeah. And one question I wanted to ask you, cause I'm a bit of a big kid, um, but you did work for Walt Disney. Uh, so how did you find your time there? And did you get loads of free stuff? Got loads of free stuff, yeah. So Christmas presents were sorted for the family, Sorted, right? sorted. And if you have any kids in the family, that's a perfect place to work. Good. Yeah, no, it was amazing to see how a large organisation that's so, so powerful in terms of brand works. Yeah. And that's really interesting about your career because you've kind of worked for, as I say, the likes of the Walt Disney, then you've worked for a leading sort of professional services firm. You've worked within a large sort of, you know, multi, multi, multi billion, probably um, tobacco business. So you've got all this knowledge and then you've kind of just plugged that into the law boutique and you've just flown with it, right? So yeah. That's the way I see it. But is it as simple as that? It's probably, I'm making it sound like it's just a straightforward thing, but yeah. has it been that easy for you in terms of kind of making everything happen or have you had lots of sort of setbacks along the way? Starting a business is 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 one of the hardest things that you can do. It's definitely been my biggest challenge. Yep. I haven't had kids yet, but that could, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like it's on par in a way because it is so difficult to keep yourself motivated. The biggest um, challenge for me was actually not having any feedback uh, because when you've got a boss, you can ask your boss, how's that? Yeah. And then they'll say it was, it was really, it was crap or it was really good. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, if you don't have that, trying to trying to be level-headed about what you're doing and whether that makes sense is really challenging. Yeah. And you, you touched on it there. Um, when you're not working on the business, what do you try to do for downtime? Because you do some, it is important to sort of rest or take a break. I know it's on your mind 24-7, yeah. but do you have anything that you kind of go to as your sort of downtime? Um, I like lifting heavy weights in the gym. Okay. I really like that. Um, I like to 
go to food markets. London's amazing, I think, for that. Favourite one? Food capital. Well, I live right on top of one called Maltby Street Market, okay. which is amazing. That's one I haven't done. Oh, you've got to do it. Oh, it's okay. great. Yeah. Is it every day or? It's only weekends, but weekends. it's really good. Okay. Yeah. Check um, that out, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Team is a big thing as well within any organisation. How have you found sort of, you know, building a business, but also building a team and, you know, what's that then produced for your clients in terms of, you know, you've built, you've built your business, but have you found that in terms of building your own team and then kind of plugging that team into sort of developing and offering solutions for your clients? Yeah. Uh, I think team is probably the most important part of any business. And when you first start, you might think that you can do a lot of the stuff yourself. You can't. Yeah. Uh, and you don't, even if you can, even if you've got the capability, you don't have the headspace and, um, it, it's best that you focus on on, on, a f- on a few things rather than everything. So building a team, just to be honest, a lot of it has been trial and error. So mm. some people came into the business um, having a different concept of what it would be like, which is fair enough because yeah. uh, what we do is, is quite new. Um, but then the team that we currently have is fantastic. And uh, since we've since we've had a team of, um, we've got three people in the core team, but seven more widely, since we've had this team, it's just been so much easier because yeah. you can give people something and they can run with it and then you can do what you need to be doing. Yeah, exactly. And in terms of other things you're involved in, do you do anything else with regards to sort of adding value to the legal community or anything else you're particularly passionate in? I'm really passionate about getting the Law Society and the Solicitors Regulation Authority to realise that we need a bit of support when it comes to um, truly innovating and, and, and passing on the the message that certain things would benefit from a bit of innovation. Do you think that's quite a hard challenge to to, to, to make that happen? It's or? hard, but they're but but they're listening, and um, there are teams that are set up within these um, these organisations to do just that. So I'm hopeful. Okay, great. And is there within your clients? Is there a particular sector or area you most enjoy in terms of providing solutions, or are you quite agnostic? So we we work predominantly with fintechs, mm. uh, which I really enjoy because it's quite a complex regulatory landscape, but also um, they're really open to new ways of working and, and they need it. Uh, they they need support with making stuff work better. Yeah. Uh, so I really enjoy working with that sector. Although having said that, we could apply the way that we work to other sectors as well, but mainly we work with technology companies. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a tech enthusiast as well. What's been the coolest bit of tech you've seen this year or what are you most excited about that's in the wings? Um, yeah. Coolest tech. Um, coolest tech. I think what's cool is using uh, AI for things that are really mundane and time consuming. So legal operations. Let's talk about that. Give us your sort of, you know, definitive definition on what it's all about. Yeah. So legal operations is a buzzword at the moment. People are talking about it. They're hiring people that are called legal operations specialists and and, and people are, fast growth organizations are thinking about this. Um, Legal operations is something that people think means just tech. It doesn't. In fact, it's, it's, it's something much more holistic than that. It's looking at the way that you work, um, seeing where, inefficiencies might lie and then updating the way that you work or changing it up also embedding automation and tech at this point to make 
sure that you're working in the most efficient way possible. Because if you think about it, if you're a small organization or even a larger one, you've only got a finite amount of legal resources and legal resources are expensive. Yeah. And um, what we do is, is sometimes very high risk. So we need to make sure that the resources that we have are not being used for things that aren't necessary. So if you can automate a process, then do that. If you can pass on a process to another part of the business, then we should be thinking about how to do that. There is absolutely no reason for the legal team to review every single NDA because it's a simple document with maybe 13 or 14 main points that someone in the sales team with the right training and the right type of document can do for you. Yeah. And that might make um, some lawyers feel anxious, but really there isn't a reason for that to be the case. So legal operations is a is a way to make your team work more efficiently and more in line with the rest of the business. Okay. And what do you think some of the challenges with that or difficulties or you, you mentioned, obviously, it's with some of the salespeople picking up, but from your experience, what have you seen go wrong? And yeah, just talk about some of the headaches with that as well. With that yeah. shift to legal ops. That's a good question. I think that the main issue is quite a deep one. And I think that's the fact that as a lawyer, you train to always know the answer. Yeah. You train to um, not be wrong because the stakes are high. So what happens is that you sort of lose, you lose touch with your ability to be vulnerable in the workplace. And when you're not vulnerable in the workplace, you don't ask questions. And this is not, this does not apply to all lawyers at all, but I think it's one of the main themes that I've seen. Um, When you're not comfortable with being vulnerable in the workplace and saying, I don't know, how do you think I should be doing this better? You, you stop yourself from being able to apply design thinking, which is effectively putting the user at the, in the middle, in the center of everything that you do. Yeah. So there's almost a mindset shift that I think is, is required and we're human and um, we often don't know and uh, we're not trained to be doing legal operations and we're not trained to um, be thinking in terms of scalability the way the rest of the business is. Yeah. And that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And you touched on it there, but legal design as well. Let's sort of dig deeper into that. Tell us, tell us more about that. So legal design is a very simple concept. It stems from just general design thinking, uh, which has been used for decades. And effectively, it's a way of making sure that everything that you're creating is suitable for the end user. So we recently did a design thinking workshop, which was just a general one. And they said, design your ideal wallet. So I designed my ideal wallet, which was this beautiful bracelet with jewels on it and each of the jewels was a button that you pressed and when you press that button you would activate different cards and then you would use it as a, a wire like a like a um a wireless payment yeah. um cardless payment um but then the person that i interviewed was quite old school and he loved his leather wallet he just wanted to have his leather wallet he just didn't like the fact that it it broke so often mm-hmm. so you know, you need to make sure that you're designing for the right person. Because if I designed that wallet, that person wouldn't want to use it. Yeah, no, that's well, that's well said. And again, challenges with that then, because that's a completely different type of individual, isn't it? More the old school yeah. versus the new school. So, so how do people go about? What should they be thinking about trying to marry the two to find the right solution? Yeah. Um, I think it also is important not to think so much about your personal preferences when in the way that you operate. So if you're a lawyer in a business and you don't like using technology and you don't like 
pivot tables in Excel, if the rest of the business is using that um, and you don't have time or appetite to upskill, then bring in support, hire a legal ops person or a legal ops company to help you put those things in place. Um, always keeping yourself in mind as the end user, of course, as well as the rest of the business, because if you can't use it, then what's the point? Yeah. So, so um, just thinking about the fact that your own needs are important, but so are the businesses. Yeah. Very, very well put. And and lastly, I know we've kind of touched on it throughout, but this is going to be a big year for the Law Boutique. Is there any sort of final message you want to say to people listening in in terms of keeping in touch or kind of seeing what you guys are up to? Is there any sort of takeaway message people should take with regards to Law Boutique? So we are holding an event on the 5th of March and that will be called Legal Operations. What is it and how do you do it? So I would encourage anyone who wants to find out more to come to our event. More details will go on social media and LinkedIn. And if you you want to find out more, just contact me. Perfect. Well, I've been thoroughly entertained and I think it's been really interesting and really insightful in terms of how forward thinking you are, your business are, and where you are and where you're going. So from my side, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Thanks so much for sharing all your sort of insights. Thank and I'm you. excited to see the future. And from my side, uh, over and out. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been great.